session with Dr. Farid Hulak. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Hulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number, 310-441-0555. So didn't do a show on Monday night because of the President's Day holiday, so I'll start off with the books today. So before I do the summary of the book for the past week, the book for this week is called Happy Together, by Suzanne Pelegi Powelski and James O. Powelski, using the science of positive psychology to build love that lasts. And again, uh, this was me judging a book by its cover. I don't know much about it, but wanted to see um, what this book is about, Happy Together, and it's using positive psychology to help uh, build love that lasts. So, I'll read that this week and look forward to sharing it with you on Monday night's show. But the book of the week from this past week was The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. And this was a really good book packed with lots of information, one of the longer books um, I've read for the books of the week. But it was looking at trauma, and as the title says, the body keeps the score. It's uh, really interesting to look at how, even though sometimes we might not know what happened to us or understand what happened to us, somehow in our body and also in our brain, we keep track of it somehow. And this is why when people talk about emotions and they think, well, isn't it better just to not feel them or to not think about them? And of course, we don't need to necessarily dwell on things, but we can't avoid them. Whatever you've gone through, in some way, your body is keeping the score, as the title suggests, it's still part of you. And so in this book, it's focusing on trauma. And usually when we think of trauma, one of the most common things we think of or PTSD is we'll think of combat veterans. And of course, they absolutely very often come back from war with PTSD from the trauma they've experienced fighting. And that's always something for me when people talk about war, they talk about the casualties and they usually think of just deaths. How many people died in the war? And they think that's the only cost or the main cost. But we don't see how many lives get damaged by being in war, by the people who physically survive, but mentally, emotionally, psychologically will never be the same or come back home very much hindered in the way that they can live their lives. So absolutely combat veterans are people who experience trauma very regularly. But as the book discusses, trauma is something that many people unfortunately experience. And even more sadly, very commonly experienced from the hands of what should be loved ones. Family members such as parents are often the biggest perpetrators 
of trauma. So the book talks a lot about childhood abuse, both sexual abuse and physical abuse, and how damaging that can be. So sometimes we think that trauma has to be some huge event that we went through, like experiencing 9-11, which was talked about in the book as well, or going to war, but very often just living in our homes, we've experienced trauma, even though we might not realize it. And so the book goes through first understanding trauma and the effects that it has. And it's interesting because people can go through the same event or types of events, but have very different reactions to them. Even at one point, he shares the story of a husband and wife that go through a really bad traffic accident due to some fog that led to, I guess, many cars, I forgot, 60, 70, maybe even 80 car pileup. And the husband reacted in a different way from the wife. The wife completely froze while the husband did not freeze. And so the way we respond, respond to threat can be very different just based on things that we go through. And even he talks about three different responses to threat that we can have. So at first, he has what we call the social engagement system, which we might try to signal danger to others. We respond in a way of trying to alert others that, hey, something is going on. And then the next level, if that doesn't quite work or if the threat is still there, is we go into fight or flight. So we're ready to either fight with the person or run away or do what we need to do, but then our body gets activated. But the last one is what he calls collapse. And this is the body signaling defeat and we withdraw. And this is why some people will freeze. So sometimes even people will say, rather than just fight or flight, it's fight, flight, or freeze. Sometimes we will freeze. And even in the brain scans, they were able to show that people had very different responses. If they froze, when they would think about the traumatic event later on, their minds almost looked like it went blank, like they weren't even experiencing it. And at some level, we can understand that the body or the brain is so overwhelmed by what's going on that it can't process what is happening. So trauma is really the system getting overwhelmed. And so because of that getting overwhelmed, what happens is that it's hard for people to move past the trauma. And I remember in another book, I think it might have been The Trauma of Everyday Life by Mark Epstein, he talked about how we sometimes think of people being stuck in the past because they couldn't get over what happened. But in some ways, because what happened was so overwhelming, it's like they never actually got to experience it to then move on and move forward. And that's another way of understanding the experience of trauma. And when people talk about traumatic memories, and he has a, a whole... I think it was a whole chapter, but definitely a lot talking about the memory of trauma and how traumatic memories can be different from regular memories or other memories of non-traumatic events. Um, when we have the memories of trauma, we find that people very often have a hard time really recognizing that that is part of the past. And so this is why when people experience things like flashbacks or if they're triggered by something that brings them back to the event, it could seem like they're very much still there. And so you'll hear stories of combat veterans who will get triggered by something. Let's say it's 4th of July and they hear some explosions. And all of a sudden they go back to the memory of when they were fighting in Vietnam. And they feel like they're really there. Their body responds the same way. The brain responds the same way. They go back to that same moment. And so we see that some, in some ways they are stuck. And even a lot of the treatments he talks about in the book, it deals with helping the person put the memory in the past. 
And so healing from trauma doesn't necessarily mean you'll get over it, so to speak, in the sense that you'll be totally okay with it or have no feelings about what happened, but that you're able to put it in your past, that it becomes a memory that happened, but it happened before. It, that's not happening right now. And unfortunately, people who are dealing with PTSD or different symptoms of recovering from trauma will often still be stuck in that past. And so if we look at how the body responds, the brain responds to trauma, we see that it's just trying to survive. And even people will sometimes call in or we'll see people who are in survival mode and we get it that if you grew up in a chaotic home or if you had to go through something really intense like fighting in a war, your body and your brain had to go to survival mode just to, as the name implies, survive, to just to make it. You couldn't just live a comfortable, safe life. You didn't have that comfort. But unfortunately, what happens is that when people are even out of that unsafe situation or circumstance, their brain and body still responds in that unsafe way and that feeling that it's still in danger and threat. And this is how we see most people. We learn a way of surviving emotionally in childhood, and we keep that with us even if we're no longer in that same home, in that same environment. So we learn, for example, that mom and dad have explosive fights and I don't want to trigger them, so it's better for me to always hide my feelings, and so I don't even let myself feel them myself. But then when the person is out of that home, where they can express themselves, they still respond in those same ways. They still follow that same strategy of keeping things in. So if we recognize that the body's response, or even PTSD, as much as we think of it just as a disease or as the D is a disorder, it is a way that the body is responding to try to survive. And he has that approach, Dr. Vanderkolk, throughout the book of coming from a place of understanding, not just looking at PTSD as some kind of disease that needs to be treated, especially not just looking at it as symptoms that need to be treated. And unfortunately, he talks about how people respond in that way. And even the medical community often just looks at the treatment as, okay, if we can just reduce the symptoms, we're doing a good job. Not realizing that if we don't deal with the effects of the trauma, which are much deeper, there really won't be healing. There won't be what we want to achieve, which is helping them get past that trauma or to help them move forward in their lives. Um, he also talks about even if we look at the symptoms, sometimes we see that what he talks about is problems might be solutions. For example, many rape victims will become overweight. And he even quotes one rape victim who said, overweight is overlooked and that's the way I need to be. So it can be that even the gaining of weight, for example, which you might look at as that just as a problem, is done to help protect the person in an unconscious way, or maybe they're even at some level conscious of it, to then not face that same unfortunate event again. The brain, the body is trying to protect itself because it sees the world as unsafe in this way and it's trying to stay safe. So I, I did like his approach, and he has so many decades actually of uh, years of experience looking at and working with trauma in different ways. But the approach was very much one of understanding, not judging the person, not just judging even the symptoms and trying to just immediately change them. But we want to try to understand the person and what they have gone through. What's also sad is he mentions how much more 
how likely trauma is in people's lives. We tend to think of it as something rare. Uh, and we think of, as I mentioned before, people who've been in war as people who've experienced trauma, which is overall a smaller fraction of our population. But when you look at the um, number of children who go through these types of adverse life events, we see that it's much more common than you might think. It's actually quite common for someone to unfortunately been a victim of some kind of abuse and more common than lots of other things that we focus on. And so he's talking about we need to make a shift in recognizing the importance of treating trauma, but not only treating trauma, trying to prevent the types of traumas that happen so often in a relational way. And relational trauma, meaning, for example, a parent abusing a child or a husband abusing a wife, are even more painful in a way because it's the person that's supposed to keep you safe and protect you that is hurting you. And this can be very damaging. And, and you can see that in some of the research he talked about that people who experience childhood traumas of this way sometimes have even a harder time recovery in recovering. Because if you think about it, it makes sense. If you have uh, survived an earthquake or a tornado that was traumatic, that can be very scary. Uh, but if the person who hurts you is the person that's supposed to protect you, where can you feel safe? And we know that we're relational creatures. We need relationships to survive, to feel good, to feel loved, to, to give us the feelings that we need emotionally to survive as human beings. But how comfortable and safe can you feel in relationships if the people that you were supposed to trust the most, that were supposed to protect you, are the ones that hurt you? And so this is why childhood abuse from parents and from loved ones can be so hurtful to children. And I might talk about it if there's time during the show about how important I think it is for us to recognize this as a huge issue that we can't just think about, okay, when people go through trauma, let's treat them. That's great. And he talks about so many ways that we can improve the treatment of trauma, but we also have to see how much work we can do in preventing trauma in the first place. And there is a lot we can do uh, from parental education and training to providing more resources for individuals to, to many other things to help prevent these traumas before they happen. Um, he talked about lots of different types of treatment. I won't get to talk about all of them, but one that he mentioned, he had a whole chapter devoted to yoga. And it's the idea that people who have gone through a trauma very often dissociate or disconnect from themselves. Even he talked about some brain scans where you can see that they don't have a connection or an idea or image of themselves, a continuing sense, continuing sense of self, and that the body could be a great way to help someone connect to that. And in doing something like yoga or other types of activity, but he talked a lot about yoga, it really helps you focus more on your body and what you're experiencing, and that can lead to a bigger and greater sense of connection for the individual. Um, so it was interesting to see the different types of treatments he talked about. He didn't mention things like EMDR, a type of therapy, but he also talked about yoga or doing theater, acting, doing things in a communal way, singing, music, all different ways that can actually help someone heal. And he mentions that there isn't just one recipe to help everyone. Different people will need different things, but there's alternative ways of helping people than we sometimes think about other than just, for example, therapy and medication, which can be great, but there's other things that can help, especially in the treatment of trauma. He also talks about uh, neurofeedback, biofeedback, how that can be helpful for trauma as well, um, and different ways that you can help treat people 
it, with different types of therapies, even recognizing parts of themselves that, that can be helpful um, as well. So this was a great book about trauma, and trauma isn't something that just affects some people, as I was mentioning before. In some way, all of us have probably experienced trauma to some degree, but many more people than you probably think have experienced it at a serious level. And so um, I'd highly recommend this book. I'd heard a lot about it, but I'm glad I finally got to read it and share it with you guys today. That was The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. And the book of the week for this week is Happy Together, Using the Science of Positive Psychology to Build Love That Lasts by Susan Pelegi Powelski and James O. Powelski. All right, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Duwakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Uh, I want to talk about my problem. Okay. I have OCD and generalized anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have been to CBT for 24 sessions. Also, I have uh, been to psychologist therapy, just talking, uh, for eight sessions. And I also take medications every day for my anxiety. Um, what kind of medication are you taking? Sertraline uh-huh. and very low dose, like 0.25 milligrams of spiridone as a help to uh, combination with sertraline. Okay. Because sertraline itself was not uh, um, so helpful. So that's why they mix it a little bit with risperidone. And um, it was going uh, well. I'm not saying that uh, the problem is uh, solved, but it was going well until I got pregnant. Mm. And then um, now uh, it is like... um, I'm in the first or second session of my CBT. I mean, all the anxiety came back, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, perhaps it's because of the hormones or whatever. But um, now uh, it's very overwhelming. I want to know if there are uh, any other uh, ways to cope with this anxiety and OCD, or I have to just uh, be patient during this. Um, pregnancy period and yeah yeah well i mean dealing with a pregnancy even when you don't have anxiety usually brings people some anxiety so it is obviously in a very exciting event but it also can be a stressful one too that it, it brings a lot of things that people tend to worry about so it's not so surprising that your anxiety has gotten worse or that it's come back to some degree I'm glad you're taking this treatment so seriously. That'll help you. But you might at some level be right that it's just going to be a little bit harder uh, these months while you're pregnant that you have to be ready for that. And I would continue with the therapy especially um, to, to help you deal with that. Now, when you say it's coming back, you said you're dealing with OCD. Has the OCD come back? Anxiety and OCD both. Okay. How does your OCD show itself? Like, what do you go through? Like, washing my hands, something. Mm-hmm. Or, um, sometimes intrusive thoughts come to me, but I know what it is, but uh, they can bother me sometimes. Okay. And, uh, but 
anxiety, like the fear of death or choking or these kind of things, are every day with me. And that's uh, even bigger than that OCD part, because the OCD part, I can handle it in a way. I can ignore washing my hands uh, more than having this anxiety. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and that it seems like obviously they're related, and OCD is an anxiety disorder. So, differentiating between which part of it is OCD and which part is the generalized anxiety disorder might not always be so simple. Now, the therapist you're going to, does he or she specialize in working with OCD? Yes, yes, a therapist uh, is working. It is one to one session CBT every week, one session, one hour. Right, but I mean, does that? But do you know if their specialty is OCD? Well, it's a clinic for uh, anxiety, OCD, depression, okay. oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. So, have you done uh, therapy that has been what they they'll sometimes call exposure therapy to help you to deal with the OCD, so you don't yes. do the same yes. compulsions? Yes, I had exposure, and also I was practicing it uh, on my own after okay. that. And was it and, helpful? Uh, yeah, it was very helpful. Good. Everything was going okay, well, but <clears throat> this pregnancy came, and it's like that I'm uh, going every day backwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish there was a way for me to tell you, do this and it'll get a lot easier, but... This happens a lot of times when we're dealing with treatment or if someone is depressed or dealing with some mental issue, they'll get better. But then a big life event, sometimes a negative one, even in this case, something that is positive, can make us go back. In a way, it makes us go back to our comfort zone, which might sound strange to say the OCD and the anxiety is something comfortable because clearly I know it bothers you a lot. But it's it's related to what I was talking about in the previous segment of even how the body responds or the brain responds after trauma, that we find a way to survive what we're going through, and that becomes just our way of dealing with things. And even if it doesn't feel good, we feel comfortable doing what we're doing. So it, it seems like based on what just happened of getting pregnant, your brain and you went in your body, everything, you went back to what you were used to. And so we have to be ready that it's going to be hard. It doesn't mean you are going to have to stay this way or it's going to definitely get worse every day but I would take your treatment seriously and see if you can slowly get back but just understand that it, it makes sense you went through something big it's a big life change is this your first pregnancy yes okay and so it's your first time going through this and although it's uh overall a very happy thing it, we can understand that it's stressful for you to deal with this as well and so I don't want you to get too hurt or upset with yourself about this, um, especially, you know, we hear a lot about postpartum depression, and it might be good for you to read up on that as well, because depression and anxiety are related. So you might experience that, or even while you're pregnant, you can experience some uh, d- depression and anxiety. Uh, but what often what people can feel with postpartum depression, or even if they get depressed or anxious while they are pregnant, unfortunately, women can feel ashamed or feel guilty that I'm supposed to be so happy I'm becoming a mom, but I'm feeling these negative feelings. And they sometimes can feel bad about that. Unfortunately, Dr. Melody Levian came in and talked about postpartum depression. um, I think it was about a year ago. It was a while ago. But that was something that's very common that people experience is that they get 
this bad feeling that I'm supposed to be so happy right now, especially after having the baby, but I feel down. So not only do they already feel bad and down and all these negative feelings, but then they judge themselves that why am I feeling down? I'm supposed to be happy. So I hope you're not judging yourself for what you're going through. I'm sure it's hard enough as it is to experience having the anxiety come back. I'm not judging myself, but uh, I really get tired of it. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it's very difficult, especially um, my guess is you've been dealing with anxiety your whole life and you were getting some progress and then now you feel like you're going backwards. How long ago did you start the therapy? Um, It's almost a year. Yes, it's almost a year. Okay. So in a way, you know, although a year is a long time, this is also newer you know, going through what you are going through. Um, how old are you? Uh, 37. 37, okay. So you, you had a lot of, um, many years of dealing with the anxiety then. So we can understand that you are going back to those old ways. It doesn't mean you can't make the progress back. And I can understand it's frustrating and difficult and also difficult just every day to deal with it. But I hope you'll give yourself that hope that you can get things back. Are there new anxieties that have come up with the pregnancy that are different from what you experienced before? No, actually, it's okay. the same as before. Okay, yeah. So, to me, I mean, you mentioned hormones yourself too. That can be part of it as well. Uh, but I think just having to deal with what you're dealing with of having a baby brings up a lot of stress in a way, as much as it's a happy thing. And when we get stressed, we tend to go back to our old ways of doing things. Our old old habits come back, and that might be what you're dealing with. Um, Is your husband in the picture, the father of the child in the picture also? I don't understand what you mean. Is your husband, I'm I'm just wondering how he is, is he helping you in dealing with what you're going through? Yes, yes. Uh, he is actually very good. Even my uh, my therapist said that he is very good. He is like a person who uh, already has uh, been taught by us Mm-hmm. That um, what to say to you, what to tell you. Great. He's very good and very supportive. Wonderful. And I, I can openly talk to him about my problems. And uh, but uh, I want to uh, about the CBT sessions. The therapist said that uh, after 24 sessions, they are going to have a pause and uh, leave me uh, for uh, on my own for three months. And after three months, checking me again to see uh, how is everything going. But this plan was not for the pregnancy period. Do you think I have to tell them not to pause it? or? uh, I I think it's important to, you know, they. it seems like they have their protocol, so I can't make that decision for them. But I think, yes, what you're going through was a huge life event, which maybe in ordinary circumstances, this is how they do things. But I think it's a huge life event that you're also saying has made a lot of your symptoms come back or get stronger. So I think it's definitely worth you telling them. First of all, I'm sure you've shared with them what you're going through. I hope you have that a lot of the symptoms are coming back. But let them know and see if they would be open to changing the protocol. First of all, what they think, but if they'd be open to changing that protocol because of what you're going through, that things are getting worse uh, because of this, uh, becoming pregnant most likely being the reason and that, You'd like for them to reconsider that. So um, I, I think it's definitely worth telling them about that. Have you told them about your symptoms coming back and how you're doing? Uh, well, 
last session was last week, and um, I, I said uh, I think it's getting uh, worse, but we didn't have um, exactly uh, we we didn't exactly decided what should be what we should do, but um, in the next two weeks I'm going to have another meeting with them, and. Um, Probably, yes, I will tell them that now it's getting serious because if sometimes it happens one day and the rest of the week is good, so I don't tell usually. But this week for me was um, almost every day. Mm-hmm. So uh, and I haven't seen them yet. Okay. So, uh, yes, I will tell them. Yeah. So, this is, so you're saying the symptoms getting worse is pretty new? Yes. Okay. How long are, have you been pregnant? Uh, it's 12 weeks. 12 weeks. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's relatively new, too. I think it's definitely a good idea to tell them what you're going through. Um, you know, not that you necessarily will demand that they continue treating you, but let them know your concern, that you understand the plan they had and that you are okay with that plan, but now that you're pregnant and, and things are getting worse, definitely let them know. Sometimes in therapy, uh, this might not be what you're going through, but the patient or the client can feel like, they want to make the therapist happy or make them proud, so they don't want to tell them when things are getting worse, if, especially if things got better, or even they sometimes try to pretend like they're getting better or they th- unconsciously want to get better for the therapist. In a way, we can call that like an expectancy effect. And I hope you won't do that. Really let them know what you're going through, that the therapy was helping you a lot and you're, you were doing a lot better, but now you're doing a lot worse, and you don't want them to just leave you for a few months on your own uh, because it's very important also while you're pregnant to take care of yourself and to not have your anxiety be so high. So I think it's definitely good for you to let them know what you're going through and that you don't want to stop the therapy at this time, even though that was the plan. Oh, okay. And the last question is, uh, are there any other treatments uh, after CBT or if these talking sessions with the psychologist, are there any other ways that I can also try them? Well, you know, uh, within t- talking to your doctor about what your body can handle, things like exercise and even I mentioned yoga in the previous segment, but that can be very good. Something like yoga would be good physically, and then related to the yoga would also be meditation. So those are things you can be doing on your own as well that can be helpful. Mm-hmm. So I'd recommend those those things to, to help you. But I think the treatment is very important for you to continue at this time. So I hope they'll they'll do that. But I would recommend the yoga, exercise, meditation for you to do on your own. And how about neurofeedback? Neurofeedback can be helpful too. Yes, actually, that's another. I mentioned that in the previous segment. Uh, neurofeedback can definitely be helpful. It's something some people respond well to it. Some people do not. It's not oh, going to work for everyone, but it's something definitely to, to look into. And I would talk to your, your doctors that you have about all these options and explore with them, but then you can get into them yourself. Um, neurofeedback can be very helpful for people with anxiety. Okay. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Good luck to you. Congratulations on the pregnancy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Have a nice day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Going into our next commercial break, studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. back let's go to another caller radio hamra you're on the air um hi dr fali hi thanks for calling um i'm very glad to talk to you finally now thank you i'm glad you called uh, how can i help you 
Yes. Um, actually, um, and uh, almost nine years ago, when I moved from uh, Iran, uh, I had overweight also. But with a healthy food and training a lot, I could lose 70 kilograms. And uh, after that, I could keep that for uh, five years almost. I was on the shape. I did training all the time. I was very good. But uh, suddenly after five years, I got a PCO and uh, polycystic uh, ovary syndrome. You got, I'm sorry, what? Uh, PCO is a polycystic uh, ovary syndrome. Okay. So it's, uh, yeah. and uh, I don't know much about ovary. that, but... Uh, it's a kiss in the ovary, mm-hmm. and it delays the period. Okay. Uh, it's uh, some hormonal issue. Uh, and after that, I got, I put on weight uh, during two months, uh, 15 kilos. Mm. Um, it was, I didn't believe that during that time, but after a while, I realized nothing fits me really. Now, it's, I can say it's, Three years almost. I'm challenging with that really. Now, I I went to my parents to the city that my parents live. I thought maybe I feel better, but uh, I didn't feel good because once I lose weight, I thought okay, it's an easy easy thing for me and I can lose weight whenever I want. But um, I went to doctor. The doctor told me the only thing that we could better is just the training and have a healthy food. But it's like as now I have a very good job. I'm living, uh, I moved to another city because I thought, okay, I should be alone, maybe I feel better. But now I am overwhelmed with food. I don't like eating. I don't enjoy eating, but I eat. It seems like i against myself. So uh, I feel shyly of myself because I don't have any problem with exercise. But I don't know why, uh, whenever I want to start, I want to be again against myself. And I think my body also is against me. Because whenever I say, okay, I will start from today, it's three years. It's kind of joking whenever I say to any people, okay, I'm still on diet. And, and instead of losing weight, I'm putting on weight. Well, one I thing, I, I'm looking up, um, you said PCO, poly cystic ovary syndrome yes. and it's saying that it does lead usually to weight gain so i'm sure that has made it harder as well for you to deal with things because it can affect your insulin levels and things like that so yeah. i'm sure that's contributed to what you're dealing with um now it does seem like you're very hard on yourself which many people are when they're dealing with some issue that they keep dealing with especially one that you've dealt with before like you're saying you were able to lose the weight before and now you're having a hard time um and i don't know if you had the pcos back then or if that was something that developed later on so maybe it was easier to lose the weight then than it is now did you have pcos when you lost the weight or that was something that you developed later on I think I had it before also when mm. I was in Iran. I had it, but um, the only it seems the only way that it gets better is with uh, reduce uh, with losing the weight. I see. So okay. when I yeah when I lost weight, then everything was normal for me. The period everything was normal, but because of the stress or 
it's just because of this one, it's mostly a stress. Yeah. Because of the stress, I think it happens again. And now I am really, every moment of my life, I just think about this one. I want to postpone every meeting with my friends, with my parents, because now I think everybody also looking at me. I feel shame of myself. I don't have really no self-confidence about my appearance, nothing. And once I went to therapy, I told to the doctor that I want to lost everything i don't want my education i don't want my work i want just to lose weight 15 kilos and i cannot i don't know why it, everybody think because my appearance is so calm everybody think okay i ha- i don't have any problem but inside myself i struggle a lot and right now i i don't enjoy it. i don't enjoy nothing i mm. can say well it, it as i was saying before it does seem like you're very hard on yourself and I know you're saying people on the outside, they think you're calm, but they don't know what's going on inside. And that yeah. could be part of the issue, that it seems like you use food, as many people do, to help calm your feelings or to numb your feelings. And so by trying to hold your feelings in and make people not think you're upset or you're down, you also turn to the eating. And it creates this bad cycle where you use the eating to help you calm down Exactly. When you're not feeling good, but then it just creates another problem again. And then, you know, yeah. kind of creates the problem. So I think you're in this tough cycle. And we talk about addiction and usually people think, think of drugs and alcohol, but definitely food can be an addiction and we use it like a drug to help yeah. our, us, us feel calm. And even you mentioned something before about, I thought maybe I'll be better if I'm alone. Um, but actually, when we look at addiction, one of the biggest reasons or even causes of addiction at some level is disconnection, feeling alone, feeling like we're not connected to anyone. And then you can turn to the drug or alcohol, or in this case to food, to give you that sense of connection. So of course it doesn't help you in the long run, but it works as a drug to make you feel love or feel connected. So actually what you probably need more than anything is to, to get more connected with people, not less. But what you're describing is that because you feel bad about how you look, it makes you disconnect yourself even more. So again, you have this really tough cycle that it seems like you're in right now that you're having a very hard time breaking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And exactly. I would always want you to have more of a compassionate approach with yourself. What mm-hmm. that means is not that you don't have to still want to lose the weight or try to lose the weight and say, no matter what you do, it's good. But I can hear it in how you talk about it. You're very, very hard on yourself, constantly judging yourself. How can you still be dealing with this? It's been three years. How come you can't lose the weight? That that beating yourself up, unfortunately, is just going to make it harder. It's not going to make it easier or help you. So I that's going to take some time to change. But a lot of times people feel like if I'm punishing myself, it's as if I'm still doing some kind of work. Like I can do something bad, but don't worry, I punished myself, so in a way I'm even now. But we don't want to punish ourselves. It doesn't help us. It doesn't push you forward. It just pushes you down, whether someone else punishes us or we do it ourselves. So I hope you can change your mindset over time and realize that by beating yourself up, it's not helping you. And losing weight, and especially in this case where it might even be like an addiction, it's very difficult. So I don't want you to think it should be so easy. Yes, you've done it before, Um, But it doesn't make it easy. And also, yes, the solution to lots of problems can seem easy from the outside, but to actually go through it is hard. If someone's addicted to alcohol, you say, hey, just stop drinking, which is a very easy solution. And it is really the main 
overall solution, but it's very difficult. And so when it comes to eating, yes, just eat less and exercise. It's very easy to say that, but when you're in a place that you are in right now, it's not so simple. So I don't want you to beat yourself up for that either to say it's so easy. Why can't I do it? Does that make sense? Yes, exactly. You're right. Okay. Exactly. Because because whenever actually whenever I want to meet my friends, I say, yeah, let's for example, let's meet each other next week, not this week, for example. Mm-hmm. Because I think, okay, maybe during this week I can lose at least two kilos. But again, I struggle myself. I challenge myself, and instead of losing two kilos, I just gain weight. For example, yeah. I understand totally myself. Yeah. And Right now, whole of my thinking, everything now is just about this one. And I, the exercise is not hard with, for me. But I don't know why I just want to against with myself. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I know you keep saying I want to be against myself. Uh, and I get that it can feel that way when you're saying the thing I want the most is to lose weight and to feel good about myself in this way. But then I keep eating in a way that doesn't do that. So it seems like you're against yourself. But we have to try to understand that this, even this eating part of you, the one that eats too much or doesn't eat healthy, that's still part of you. And there's some reason why it does that. Something is going on there where you, you're, you're doing that. First of all, it's hard to change. But also, even when you describe what's happening, even though it doesn't feel very good, by telling yourself, because I'm overweight, I shouldn't see my friends, it creates a comfort zone where you get to be alone. And maybe there's a part of you that actually feels safer or feels more comfortable by yourself than you do around people. So we have to look at that too. Look a little bit deeper. That's why I don't want you just to beat yourself up to say, what are you doing? This is wrong. This is stupid. This should be so easy. And we want to look at why you might be doing what you're doing or what also is making it harder for you. Because a lot of times people have these goals and they think, I want this so bad. For example, I, you know, you'll work with someone or talk with someone. And they say, I want to get married so bad. I just want to get married. But then you look at what they do in their dating life and they keep creating situations where they don't get close to someone. And even though they tell you that's what I want more than anything, they don't realize they have a fear of getting close or they have a fear of marriage or there's some other reason that also makes it difficult for them. So I want us and for you to do this as well, but also we'll talk a bit more about what might be keeping you in this comfort zone, even if it feels very painful, that's also making it hard for you to lose the weight. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Because even when you tell me everyone sees you as someone calm, but inside they don't know how much pain you have and anger and all this, that tells me that you probably were someone who was good at hiding their feelings or holding their feelings in. Mm-hmm. Is that how yeah. you have been? Yes, exactly. I am just uh, hiding the feeling all the time. Yeah. And so people, you thought people liked you for being maybe always nice or being always happy. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that, is that true for you? Is that how your family, let's say, sees you? Yes, yes. But right now, for example, my parents understand that they, they know it and they can feel that. They know because I am bothering of something, really. Mm-hmm. Because uh, they understand, okay, something is bothering because now it, it, I told so everything is perfect for me now, except of this one. So I really want to lose everything, mm-hmm. and I want just to lose 15 kilograms weight, and I want to get fit. Even though in my 
uh, mobile background is still the picture of my three years ago. So mm -hmm. I have, I think, I don't have believers still that I have this. And nobody accepted. Everybody says, oh, it's not a big issue. People go, um, people can put on weight and they lose weight. It's, it happens for everybody. I know it happens for me also, but it's, it's right now, it's a big challenge. So I cannot date with any guy right now because I don't have that self-confidence. You, you can date. You're telling yourself you can't. And, and again, this is also the ways you're keeping yourself safer. Let me ask you something. How old are you? 28. Okay. So you came to the U.S. when you were like 19? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there could be also things there that we have to look at. And I know it seems so simple, but it's much more complicated. And another thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to accept yourself as you are today. Something that it yeah. seems like you're having a hard time doing. Even saying, for example, your picture is the old picture. You have to look at yourself as you are today and love yourself today. And I'll make it very clear when I say accept yourself, it doesn't mean you can't lose the weight or you don't have to want to lose the weight. You can still want that, but we have to accept today, the reality of today, which is you weigh whatever you weigh today. And not just think about the other time or the future and reject the, the present. Because if you do that, you won't be able to change or it's harder to change. I don't want you to change because you hate yourself today. I want you to love yourself today and try to make a better, healthier choice for your future. But I don't want you to hate yourself today, which it seems like at some level you're doing. You're judging yourself very negatively, thinking no one would want to date me, even I don't think I want to see my friends or they're going to judge me if they see me. It seems very clear that you're having a hard time accepting yourself today. And, and we need to change that or else it's going to be hard for you to change yourself. Um, Carl Rogers had a very interesting quote. He says, the curious paradox is only when I accept myself as I am, then can I change. So it's only when you see yourself today for who you are and love yourself even for who you are that you help yourself then grow if you want to grow. It's like if you saw a child and you were helping them with their math homework and you saw they couldn't really add some of the numbers together you wouldn't get mad at them or hate them or say, no, you should know everything. You would see where they are and love them and then try to help them grow. So we want you to have that same mentality with yourself. So we're getting to a commercial break and I want to keep talking with you so we can talk a little bit deeper about what's going on. And I want you to think about what might be keeping you where you are. Why might this be so hard for you? And I want you to keep okay. in mind this mindset that we want to approach it with a more loving, compassionate attitude rather than a judgmental negative one. Okay? Okay, sure. All right. Okay, you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we were with a caller. Let's go back to her now. Caller, are you still there? Hello. Yes. Okay. So we were talking about uh, you were very, very frustrated, it sounds like, that you want to lose 15 kilograms and you're having a hard time doing so. And you said for about three years you've been dealing with this, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and as I mentioned before the break, like many people who are dealing with something that's like an addiction or some behavior or something they want to change about themselves, you're very hard on yourself. And a lot of times people think this will help them but almost always it 
hurts them or makes it harder for them to deal with things. Um, and I also mentioned a few things before about how food or any kind of drug can serve to help numb our feelings. Do you find yourself doing that? That when you're eating, it's to calm yourself down or to, if you're feeling down or if you're feeling anxious, you eat more or do you not see the... Yeah, exactly. When okay. I eat, when I eat more, just, it turns out I want to, I don't enjoy the eating, even mm-hmm. though sometimes I don't feel the taste, but yeah. it seems that just I want to calm down myself. Mm-hmm. This is the only thing. And for example... Whenever I go, whenever I see the people go on a trip, and after one week, usually people on a trip, they eat a lot. And then they get back, okay, they don't change a lot. But whenever it happens for me, and I eat normal also during the, for example, trip, because of this PCO problem, yeah. I got to lot a bit. And I say to myself, why it really happened to me? It's not normal. And then I get anger from everything, and I just try to eat and something yeah. when something happens for me during the normal life also it happens with eating it happens just during these three years i didn't have this uh, feeling i didn't have this behavior before even though once i whenever also i met a guy and i i want to visit that guy or something i got motivated i lose weight, weight a lot you know i do a lot of exercise i uh, so i'm in the shape again but because of this problem, I go, I put on weight so easily. Whenever, for example, the breakup happened, I put on weight again, and I don't care a lot uh, mm-hmm. about anything like as now. So even though during the lunch times with my colleagues, sometimes I feel ashamed to go out. I, uh, I think now everybody just looking at me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is the thing that I have about myself. I, I think now everybody just thinking about me and look at me. Yeah. The, and you're probably yeah. right about that, that it's in your head and most people don't care or don't even notice. But in your yes. head, it's much bigger than it it actually is. We, we can almost be certain of that. And yes, you're dealing with the uh, polycystic ovary syndrome which I just read a little bit about it since we've been talking, and it says that it does lead to weight gain. So it does unfortunately mean it's going to make it even more challenging for you to lose weight and that you can put on weight much faster than many people. Also, you've mentioned that you lost something like 70 kilograms. And for most people, when they've lost a lot of weight, even afterwards, what, what can feel unfair is that the body still it's easier for you to gain weight or harder for you to keep weight off for someone else who has the same weight as you because the body has almost this tendency to go back to where it was. So um, I've read research, actually I talked about it on the show a couple of years ago, showing that when people lose a lot of weight, it was based on contestants on The Biggest Loser, a show in the United States, maybe in other countries as well, where people lose a lot of weight and they found that people's metabolism was slower than someone else the same weight as them after they had lost, let's say someone is 400 pounds and becomes 200 pounds. If you compare that individual with someone else who's 200 pounds, unfortunately their metabolism will be a little bit slower than the other person. So it makes it harder to keep the weight off. So it is challenging as much as again, it could seem simple. We'll just eat a little bit less or do this on top of you having this polycystic ovary syndrome, which also makes it harder to, lose weight or can make it easier to gain weight it is challenging so again i want you to have that compassion with yourself 
as well. Um, but clearly, food has become this kind of almost love-hate type of a thing for you, where mm -hmm. at some level you love it and you use it to calm yourself or to soothe yourself, but then you hate it and hate yourself for eating too much. And you mentioned something about how you don't even always taste the food. And there's a, a lot of people talking about something they call mindful eating. Have you heard of that? Yes. Yeah. And that can be helpful because we know that when people uh, binge, and that's actually something I wanted to ask you, do you ever eat, eat very large amounts of food? No, I like just to taste everything. For example, okay. no, I want to taste just, for example, nuts. I should eat nuts. No, I want to It's just a small portion, but it's just that just I want it. During the day, I just think about that. And I say, okay, no, I am on a diet. I should have started from today. And then I said, no, why should I do that? I should again start eating. And then this, exactly that you said, the hate-love relationship mm -hmm. with myself, it started and I hate myself mm. again. Yeah. Well, that's the part where I want you to try to change the, the hating part. The love part we like, the hating part we want to try to get rid of. Um, but this idea that, you know, you have to hate yourself for wanting food. Well, you don't have to hate yourself for wanting food, and even there is likely a part of you, it's almost like a childlike part that wants to just give itself what it wants. And so sometimes that child takes over. And even when you say you're almost eating without tasting, without being aware of it, it's almost like you're telling your parent to go away, to not pay attention, to close its eyes so you can eat what you want to eat in that moment. But rather than just saying, I shouldn't eat or I shouldn't want to eat, we want to try to understand why you are feeling that feeling of wanting to eat. And like I said, and you were acknowledging, it seems like you are feeling down. What? Tell me about the pain you're dealing with emotionally. Do you feel lonely? Do you feel depressed? What What do you think you're feeling? The only thing that I can say, this is, this is the only thing that it hurts me a lot, really. Okay. I, I don't know why, but it hurts me a lot because I cannot wear anything. I cannot... I cannot because I realize even before maybe I can attract maybe guys, but now I realize that in sometimes also I am uh, making a fun by uh, people, so I realize that. But you feel like people are making fun of you? Yeah, not making fun, but yeah, for example, um, the last time I went to Iran, then everybody told me, oh, you have changed a lot. What have you done with yourself? But, you know, it's bothering me a lot because I know how I am struggling with myself about this problem. And now I cannot wear anything I want. I cannot do whatever really I want. But because of this problem, it hurts me. So I, I then, you know, I, read, I, I listen to your father a lot. Mm -hmm. I read a lot of books. But I said to myself, okay, why without those things? Still, I am in my same I am in the same position as this, and I cannot move forward. So yeah, but I know of course, but knowing <laughs> and doing are, are very different things. You know, knowing it, of course, like I said, it's easy to know, but doing is very hard. Everyone knows exercise is good, but not everyone does it. Everyone knows to read more is good, not everyone does it. Everyone knows to not get so angry with someone is good, but in the moment they might get angry. So... I don't want you to think because I know it and I don't do it means something's wrong with me. That's true for every human being. We're all dealing with that. Of We know lots of times what to do to help ourselves for our long term, but we're not making those choices all the time. 
and it's very mm-hmm. easy just to beat yourself up. But I think you go to that place of shame very easily, of beating yourself up and being very negative with yourself. Honestly, and, I, I, sorry No, you, that's but okay. Honestly, I, I realize that society really, and society, every society, everybody really just... Um, they care about the people who are more beautiful, who have... Because I had this uh, experience before. I was attracted by people more, but now I, I have this feeling. And I thought, okay, sometimes I really think about this. Okay, this is a difference between the people who are very good-looking, who just uh, who have a, who a very good shape, but um, the people who just educated and write for example, they don't have anything. I can see that difference sometimes. And I say, okay, really, maybe instead of just uh, studying and educating, I should go to other things. So these things and um, these uh, relationships with the people, because I can get the feeling, okay, right? You now the feeling of the people is so different from the, the, the time that... Uh, I was in the shape. I can see that feeling. Mm-hmm, really. mm-hmm. It hurts me. Uh, I'm sure it does. And it, uh, there's, you know, these things are very complicated. And I, there's a lot of things that come to my mind. But I'm wondering for yourself also, in your family, you said you were dealing with your weight for a lot of your life. How did they make you feel about being overweight when you were younger? Um, I what do you mean exactly? Well, your your parents, for example, you, you said you were yes. dealing with being overweight. Did they talk about it? Would they make comments about it? Would they no, make you... right now, right now, for example, my parents um, just the only thing. For example, last week, I understand because my parents don't want that. I got because they know I have challenge a lot about yeah. this thing a lot, so they don't want to bother me about this. But they just say it like as a, it's good that you go to gym. It's good. I they say like as the, this way. No, I know. I'm saying when you were younger, when you were a kid or a teenager. No, no, uh, no, no, no. During that time when I was good, honestly, when I when I lost seventeen kilos. No, I know before, was, before. Before that, I was I was okay. Before that, I was okay. Suddenly, I got, I put on weight. But uh, during the high school, I was okay. But it happens maybe during, I don't know, a short time again. I okay. put on weight. So but maybe it could have I been, be- yeah, but it could have been because of the PCOS that you gained the weight. No, I think it was because of the uh, stress all the time. So uh, because the doctor told me the uh, the trigger, the reason of this problem is um, just the stress. So maybe hmm. because of the stress that I wanted to go to university, I just uh, put on weight when I was in Iran. Uh-huh. That's the reason, yeah. I see. So you didn't. You were not overweight, and then you gained a lot of weight all of a sudden, in a no, short time. No, no, no. In a short amount of time, you gained weight. Yeah, but right now it's uh, it is very up and down a lot. So, but yeah. Okay, it's up and down a lot. Or are you saying it's hard to lose the weight? Yeah, right now it's hard to okay. lose the weight. But yeah. sometimes it happens really sometimes. For example, last year I was in a relationship with a guy. Because of that, I was motivated. I tried mm-hmm. to lose weight. It was very good. Uh, it was very good for me, really, because I could lose weight very good. I did exercise a lot. But when I broke up with him, then again the same story happened. Mm-hmm. And right now again it's okay. one year. And yes, so one thing is... Of course, a lot of people can feel that motivation when they're with someone or dating someone. But 
you're going to need to lose the weight for yourself if you want to do it. But I think it's much more complicated than you think. I know when you're talking to me and all you think is you just want to lose weight, but there's a lot of things that might be keeping you from losing the weight that you, I would recommend that you go to therapy. I know you mentioned going to a therapist, that you go to a therapist to talk about things a little bit more deeply because you keep looking at just the surface that I want to lose weight. Why can't I do it? It's so bad that I can't do it. But it's much more complicated than that. It's not just about you needing to, you, you, you not doing it and it's very simple. Now, another thing is, like many people who deal with eating issues and weight issues, you put too much of your self-worth with what you see on the scale. So yeah. if you lose weight, you're good. If you gain weight, you're bad. If you lose weight, you're lovable. If you gain weight, you're unlovable. And I know you're saying society cares a lot about looks, and they do, and they care too much about looks, you can say, but it seems like definitely you feel that way and judge yourself in that way. It's not just about what society thinks. It's that you are very judgmental of yourself based on your weight gain or your weight loss. And that makes even more pressure on you that you are very hard on yourself when you gain weight, and if you lose weight, you feel like you're good. And so I would highly recommend, I know you mentioned going to a therapist. Are you still going to therapy? No, 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 not, no. Okay. I, I think it'd be a very good idea for you to do that because there's a lot for you to understand about this that just in talking for 20, 30 minutes, we're not going to get to all of that. But it's much more complicated than how simple you're making it seem. Yeah. So I, I would definitely recommend you, you go back uh, to therapy or if you went a couple of times to go, if you weren't happy with that therapist, find someone else. But this issue is much more complicated than I think you're making it seem to yourself. And the approach you're having of being very hard on yourself, I keep hearing you uh, beat yourself up over this. It's not going to help you at all. It's just going to make it harder. And so having a different approach will be better. And also holding your feelings in is another thing that seems very clear that you've learned to numb yourself or to not have a lot of feelings, but it's creating this negative cycle as well. And so those are the things you really need to to try to understand a little bit better at a deeper level. And I would try to stop yourself, if you can, from looking at it as so simple as, why can't I do it? I should be able to do it. It's so easy. I know what to do. I can't do it. It's not that simple. It's not that easy. It's much more complicated than that. Yes, you're right. Exactly. Okay, good luck. And by good luck, I don't just mean good luck in losing the weight. I mean good luck in learning to love yourself more and get more connected to yourself because that's what's missing more than the weight issue. Thank you for your time. Thank, Thank you. you. My pleasure. Nice talking to you. Good luck. Take care. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Going into our next commercial break, studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Holakoy. Hi, thanks for calling. Thank you for taking my sure. call. And thank you for all the good advice you're giving to well. all the young and as old as I am. <laughs> well, my pleasure, but thank you. I, I, I'm not sure you're so on that old side that you said, but thank you so much. I appreciate that. Okay, I have uh, a question. Okay. I, I, My boyfriend and I, we are both... 61 years old. Mm -hmm. We have been in a relationship. We lived together for the past eight years or so. 
And uh, in the beginning, he came on very strong, very romantic. He would l- write me like poems and, um, you know, very verbal as far as uh, being very romantic to me. With that, I stopped in the first like six months or so. I tried uh, to bring it out to his attention that, uh, you know, I like I liked the way you were. Uh, uh, but it did not work. So I kept on trying for a couple of years, and when I saw, well, he said, I'm not really that romantic. Um, so I accepted it after a few years, and it was not bothering me, and it still does not bother me. So I have accepted him the way he is, and he's not very verbal. I see his interaction with other people, with his family, with his relatives. So I know what kind of a person he is. Something okay. happened yesterday, and I think at this age I should know a little more about relationships. <laughs> not, not, necess- not necessarily, but um, and also it's interesting already what you said. I mean, you've been together, you said lived together eight years, so I mean, I don't know how much, how long were you guys together before that? Uh, we, okay, we are living together for the past um, seven years. We dated about one year. Okay, so eight years together altogether. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But I mean, even the way you just talked about how I'm okay with him not being as expressive, um, it seems like maybe you're not so okay with it. There there might be something there. But anyway, go ahead. I wish that he was more, but when he's not, I don't think that he does not love me any less. Sure. But, you know, there's also the feeling of being loved. It's good that you can rationalize that. But on an emotional level, we tend to want to feel loved and uh, there's that book, The Five Love Languages, which talks about how we can feel loved in different ways. Not everyone can express it and experience love the same way. So maybe for you, those expressions of love, the words of affirmation, for example, might be significant, and you're not getting that from him. And especially you said you got it from him at the beginning, and then he stopped, and he said, I'm not such a romantic person. So at some level, you're probably wondering, well, who was that guy that was writing those was someone else writing those poems for you which doesn't seem like it was the case but where was that person and something that people can feel and i'm not going to suggest this for you but sometimes when we're meeting someone we can feel like they're showing a certain side or being a certain way not out of genuine kindness or love but actually more because they're trying to quote unquote get us Exactly. I and that's that the thing that you might be feeling, which which doesn't feel very good. Now, of course, passion and the way we feel at a beginning of a relationship does change. So I don't want to say it should be exactly as it was in the beginning, but people can have this experience as well. They're getting gifts and they're being very lovey-dovey. And then it's like as, a, as soon as you commit to them or they feel like they have you, that changes is not a good feeling. I'm not saying that's necessarily what you're experiencing, but it does make us recognize there is um, a difference between genuine expressions of love and a feeling of showing a certain type of love for a person to feel something to then have them feel something towards you. But nonetheless, that might not be exactly what's happening here. But I just want to point that out for people to be aware of that. And even for themselves, when they're doing certain things, is this genuine or is it just to get the person? But go ahead. So you can tell me what happened. Uh, you said yesterday. Um, thank you for um, the information, and I think I can say yes to all of the above, everything you mentioned. He's a combination of both. I believe he was more verbal, more 
romantic in the beginning just to get my, my attention, to get all my feelings and, you know, to be in the same level, to make me to be to be in the same level as he was. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know it, it had stopped is because he was not that kind of a person to begin with. Okay. I And he's not very expressive anyway. So I could see a combination and I was okay with that. At this age, you know, I was not going to act like a teenager or, you know, like a... Um, you know, like a youngster. Uh, but, but, you know, happened- you keep mentioning this age thing, and um, you, you're, if you're still not feeling good in a relationship, doesn't matter if you're 18 or 88, you still don't feel good. So I'm not saying you should care or you have to care, but I don't want you to discount how you're feeling in the relationship just because of age. I think that doesn't matter. Uh, but nonetheless, okay. That's a good point, too. So let me give you a little background. Mm-hmm. I come from a... 20-some years marriage, which ended like 15 years ago. Very, very bad roller coaster ride, which I am so blessed to have two great kids out of that marriage. He's out of the picture completely. He left the country. I had a roller coaster ride, and anything you could see, a bad um, habit, a bad behavior, deceiving, uh, he had it, my ex. Okay. So... And I dealt with that for so many years, and I wondered myself that how I tolerated that. I was in a you know different stage of uh, age and mind as well. So, so we can I see have... just to, just to reiterate the point I made before: you were younger then, but still accepted that you were not happy. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? So the age doesn't matter. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so marriage was very seems like not good at all. Um, you were in it for over 20 years. So you, you said it ended 15 years ago? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what happened um, yesterday is that my boyfriend and I, we both have a very low um, uh, social media life. We go, I go to Facebook like maybe, maybe once or twice a week just to be a little fuzzle, like if there's a picture and, you know, what people are talking about, what's happening, you know, just to do that. And sometimes... Um, some people share a very cute, like, a pet um, video. I just share that as well. So maybe once a month, not if that, I post something. Um, he is even less than what I am active on social media. What happened is that, you know, how Facebook sends you is like a video and a boom and a bang and that, you know, your anniversary for eight years or so. Mm-hmm. So I um, made a comment on it that it has been a wonderful, it was about him and I. So I said it has been a wonderful ride and like hearts and kisses. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then what he posted was just kiss, two uh, kisses. I was, I was very surprised that he didn't even mention anything that it has been a wonderful ride for me as well. Mm-hmm. It was very cold to me. It was very cold. I brought it to his attention last night, and then he's giving me a lecture about social media, how he hates it, he wants to delete his uh, profile. And that at work they had a conversation that the guy said, my kid doesn't say happy birthday to me, but he goes online and, uh, you know, he blasts a lot of great things about me. I said, I do not, I'm not a teenager. Do not compare me to a teenager. The thing is that 
I did it for the first time about our relationship. I mean, we have pictures, so, so we're not very, mm, uh, we're not on the social media like our our relationship. Everybody around us knows it, and that's the, all the people who matter. But then, it was the, I, my expectation was that I would, uh, you know receive a little nicer and kinder okay, one. Okay, yes. So let me just, um, you know, so the social, this is interesting because social media does create a lot of problems in relationships, but as with a lot of things, the problem itself isn't the social media. There's bigger issue, issues underneath because my guess is that if he was showing you so much love and affection and attention and expressing it to you directly often you would care a lot less about this social media moment um, than is currently the case. But because you feel like he doesn't show you his love as much as you'd like, and you do want more, I know you keep saying you discount it in different ways, saying, oh, I'm not 18 anymore, or these things don't really matter, or I've accepted it. It does seem like you're not happy with the way that he expresses or the lack of his expression of love towards you. And so this was triggered by this Facebook post, maybe a little bit more because it was public and it might have amplified your feeling, but still it seems like it was amplifying or triggering, I should say, this um, issue that you already have with him. That's why I know you keep saying, I'm okay with it, I'm okay with it, but the fact that you started our conversation in that way tells me you're probably not so okay with it. Could, it makes sense 100%. It could be. I, I do convince myself that this is, yes, you're absolutely right. I do convince myself this is him, this is who he is, and uh, I'm going to bring up the age again, uh, and that is age, what do you want from life? You know, he's a very good man. He has a lot of things that uh, my ex didn't have. He's a decent man. And the thing is that, his personality, which I'm also, I'm not trying to tolerate it. I do love him. I do care a lot. Is that I try, I have, I do have difficult time accepting him. Uh, he is like, as your father says it, karkhune, like goes to work, come home, sleep, do the same thing over. He doesn't have any friends. He doesn't have a social life. It is all about, uh, you know, work, home, sleep. Mm-hmm. And but I am very outgoing. I am I not I would shouldn't say very, but I am. I am you know, I like to go out with my friends, I like to go to the family gatherings, whatever event is out there I like to go and attend and I do plan everything that happens in our life. So maybe I believe this is where most of my problems come from, that we are very different and I'm trying to um, I don't know, maybe I'm trying to accept it. Well, uh, yes, and, you know, that's the issue. You have to see if you want to accept it or not also. And he is who he is, and I guess, yes, at the beginning he showed something, but it's been eight years, so it's not like if he was eight years one way and then all of a sudden changed, I would say, well, this is a big deal. But he's been that way. And it does seem like you are not okay with it, and something you've done a few times in our short time talking today, I'm sure you do it all the time by yourself, is... You feel something, and then you kind of justify or rationalize it away. Say, oh, I don't like this, but come on, I'm not 18, so who cares? I shouldn't feel this way. But you still feel it. It doesn't go away. And so I think, again, it got triggered in this social media moment, but there's something much deeper going on. And you can talk to him, and we shouldn't expect that he's going to become Romeo and totally change. But you can say a little bit more of expression will feel good to me. And as a partner... 
we should be always striving to make our partner feel loved. We should do what we can within what feels okay with us. It should be genuine to express, for example, love. Or if they want gifts, we should try to get gifts. Or if they want acts of service, we do acts of service. If they want physical touch, we give them that. So we want to make each other feel loved. And so there might be room for you to communicate with him of saying, this really would mean a lot to me if I could get a little bit more from you in these ways. But then we can see what he can do. First, if he's willing to, I hope he will be willing to at least try a little bit. But then you will have to at some level accept that this is him. And not accept him meaning, well, I'm 61, what else can you get in life? This is it. But really, can I accept this as this is him and I want to be with him? Because you're choosing to be with him every day. It's not you're stuck. I don't want you know you to use your age as an excuse or a reason or that this is just how men are and there's nothing better. If you're not happy, we have to look at that and not ignore that because it's not going away just like it hasn't gone away. That's, that's a very good point. I, um, um, I do love him. I do want to be with him. And we have talked about this before, too. And what I say, I rather, uh, what I tell him is that I rather to be with you than not to be with you because I can be, you know, I can be very okay on my own. Uh, I have enough, um, you know, friends around me to keep a social life, to keep busy. I have a very good, productive job. But I rather to be with you than not to be with you. But what I feel is that most of the time it's a one way street. I do not see any effort. Should I? I have talked to him a few times. It may work for one time and then it goes away completely. But so what does he uh, say when you share that with him? He still keeps telling me that, you know, I am not very romantic, but um, he, what he does, he tries to defend himself all the time. Mm-hmm. Like last night, I was telling him, I, you know, I don't... It doesn't matter what you did, but the point right now is that you did something that hurt me, someone in your life who is important to you. I expect you to, like, come and hug me and hold me and say, honey, I'm sorry, instead of giving me lectures about what social media is all about, or, you know, you hate it, and, you know, and uh, and the thing that, something that I'm not in it either. So this is, he does not understand it very well. He I think he is so um, so cold in his mind, in his heart, that he does not see what I see, mm-hmm. and I have I do have uh, a difficulty making him to see what I see. I was not accusing him of. I mean, I, I was in the beginning, but in the later into the conversation, I said I, I would be happy if you didn't even say anything. But the way you did it was like so formal. Um, mm-hmm. So, anyway, so I think he doesn't understand. He doesn't see what I want or I feel. It it seems that way, and definitely that you feel like he doesn't get your feelings. Now, you said something about him being defensive. Most people get defensive when we challenge them in any type of way. But we always want to be aware of how we bring something up to make it easier for them to not be defensive. So that's something for you to think about when you do bring up how you're feeling or if you feel hurt by him. How, how do you tell him this? How do you express it? If you make it a very global thing, like you're a bad person or you don't care or you never care about me, that's definitely not a good start. We want to make it 
as soft as you can and also make it as specific about a specific behavior, not just you're mean, but say, I was hurt. Again, I statement is also helpful. I was hurt by what you wrote. For some reason, it just felt cold to me or didn't feel very um, loving or it felt formal to me. And then see if you can get him to understand what you're saying. The thing is, it seems like you found yourself a man who's very emotionally detached. Even you described him as cold, but then you're wanting him to be warm. And at some level, you dismiss your own feelings and you found someone who does that for you as well. But it doesn't feel good in these moments because you are very good at saying, oh, I shouldn't feel this or who cares or I'm 61 or I'm this or I'm that. But you found someone who deals with your feelings the same way. Well, who cares? It doesn't matter. Feelings don't matter. Let's not talk about feelings. Let's not be very emotional. But then something always feels missing to you. But this yeah. is him. You know, he maybe does have a little more capacity. I'm not going to say he can't grow in this way at all. But this might be who he is and who he wants to be. And you say, I'd rather be with you than be alone. And that, of course, is your choice. But I still don't want you to ignore what you're feeling. Or you have to accept it and say, this is what I'm going to get, and I'm going to accept that. And you have to see if you can actually accept it, not just say it, but actually feel okay with this. Because if you keep asking him to be something he can't be, you're going to get disappointed. But again, I would ask you to try to see if there's anything where you can meet at least a little bit in the middle that will help. But don't ignore your own feelings about what's going on unless you decide, you know what, I'm accepting him, this is him. I love him. I want to be with him. This is what I can expect from him. I can't expect him to be any taller than he is, just like he can't expect me mm -hmm. to be any taller than I am. This is him. If you can do that, then that's where you're at, and you're going to have to decide that I'm not going to keep bringing it up because he can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. But I would first see if in a non-attacking way, you can bring it up and see, this is what I'd like. Is there any way you can give me a little bit more in this way? And then that's maybe all you can expect once he tells you that. Okay. Sounds good. I hear you loud and clear. Thank you so much for all the time you gave me. Oh, my pleasure. Good luck. And again, listen to those feelings and see what you can do with him. And then again, accepting means actually accepting it. If you can get to that point, then great. You can stay with him. If not, you're going to have to think about uh, the relationship and, and how happy you feel in it. All right? Yeah, sounds good. Thank nice you talking to so you. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, going into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to one last caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, Dr. Alaki. Yes, hi. We're on the air. Thanks for calling. Sure, thank you. Uh, I know we have a short time, mm -hmm. so I'm not going to be able to go through the entire picture. But uh, maybe just the general thing, I have to wrap it up to see if I can get the information. My situation is about my marriage, of course. And um, I'd like to know, when your partner, your husband, your spouse, is a defensive personality, uh, someone is constantly uh, suspicious, on certain things uh, because I think for the lowest things that they have uh, defensive regarding anything 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 that could be a conversation or decision in the marriage that comes up there is, I feel like sometimes there is a wall around them that's why it's so hard to get close and that person is totally a very uh, emotional person 
very caring when it comes to people, society, friends, family, neighbors, and myself. But it's very difficult to communicate. Our communication usually does not uh, last very long mm-hmm. because after the first five, ten minutes, uh, he has a temper. Uh, he gets mad and he raises his voice and say words, which then I would not like to be in that conversation. And I always uh, respond in a quiet way because I do not lock and talk and act like that. So it's just uh, very difficult. And I'm trying to think like maybe I need to find a different way to approach. You think sometimes that could be? Well, sure. Um, I mean, that's the only thing you can do. Obviously, we, you can change him. Um, but changing the approach sure. could help. Uh, that, or the only thing you can do that might help. Now, the way you described him, you're saying he's very emotional but he shuts down quickly in a way. Or, and you said defensive, um, but you said defensive, then you went into paranoid also, but I don't know which one, you, well, uh, maybe both. Sensitive. Let, me, let me explain. Sure. 56 years old, uh, got married at the age of 50, 49. Oh, and, so you guys uh, have been together just six, you said 56? Just six years, actually. Okay. Uh, yeah, and personality-wise, like I said, people know him as, oh, he's such a caring person because he cares. He's always there to help. I mean, he's just, he goes out of his way to do things for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but personality-wise, like I said, he's very sensitive. Sometimes I feel like he has OCD or he, he, he has bipolar. The way he reacts to things, I, I see those symptoms of being, uh, you know, having all this. Uh, sensitive, very sensitive to certain things. Uh, communication is difficult. And uh, like I said, but he's a very caring person, yeah. but uh, not to like to share. I mean, the idea of marriage for him, for example, I like to share everything. Let me just give you a clear picture. When we got married, uh, he asked me to sign a prenup because he didn't believe that he could trust a marriage or he doesn't want to share with things. He sees this marriage is going to work out the way he wants. And because I was never looking into, like, after money or things, then I said, sure, I sign it. If that makes you happy, you know, I don't mind, which is not like rich, loaded person, you know, you know, decent, average, good life. So this is how our marriage started at. And right now that I'm talking to you, financially-wise, we have everything absolutely separate. Separate checking account. Uh, my name is not on anything. I mean, not even a utility bill. I don't care for that. Okay. But th- just to give you an idea how things are. But so why do but, you think you wanted to be in this marriage, the way you're describing it? I do love him. I do care for him, and I'm hoping he sees things better. He come around and trust. And uh, but when you say that, you're saying you love him, but you want him to be different. So do you love well, him, the him he I is today? Him. I'm just hoping. I'm not looking to change him. I'm just hoping that you know we're not even 20 years old. I'm 46, and he's 56. So. I'm thinking at this age, uh, whoever you are, that's how it is. But, And I did ask him to go for marriage counseling um, after the first three years that we had our complication and moments. Finally, he came in at one point, even to an Iranian therapist in Irvine, actually, I, that he worked with under group of philosophy, which you guys. Okay. But that session was not successful, obviously, because, of course, uh, after doctors started asking him about his childhood and when he moved to the U.S., and which he's been here for 30 years, but doctors start pointing out a couple of things to the things that he has. For example, like you do have some kind of depression because uh, you need to probably go to sessions alone for a while before you guys start marriage therapy or even be on the medication. And he got so defensive towards this comment and he hated it, which he came out. He never went back. <laughs> 
Okay. And uh, he never believed. Uh, he's a quiet person. He comes out. We attend to events and friends, gathering parties, but not like on a regular basis. Like our friends get together. We could have people over. But no, he's like, I like to be home. I like to watch my TV, take care of my garden. And yes, of course, we do interact with people, but not all the time. You always feel like he has this wall around him. But it sounds like it. And there's yeah. a little bit of, uh, I, I, don't, I think you're outside, there's some wind sound. Sorry, That's okay. But let me just say a few things. You know, he, sure. a lot of times people who, and it's very often men, come off as shut down. We think it's because they don't feel enough. But as we're seeing with him, it's actually because they feel too much or they get overwhelmed by their emotions, so they shut down. So when people do what we call stonewalling, sometimes people are having an argument, and then all of a sudden, um, the classic example is then the husband turns on the TV and is just staring at the TV while the wife is still talking and they don't even look at the wife. It's not because they don't care, which is what it looks like. It looks like, wow, he doesn't even care. He's just watching the TV. But it's actually because they're caring too much. They're feeling too much. And so that does seem to be the case with him, that he gets overwhelmed oh, by emotion. He doesn't shut down. When I mean shut down like okay. on a regular basis, when he's feeling fine. He actually, one of our problems is when we're having conversation, if, if he hears something from my side that is He'll explode. Or different than what he believes, right. He blows out. Mm-hmm. He goes, he yells, he says words, and until he wins. And he always says, it has to be my word, and I have to be the one that, and that's why, that's when I get quiet and I leave the room or I go to the backyard or I go to different place because I don't think at that point any conversation could be helpful. No, it's not going to be helpful, but it seems like there's no. no room for your anger. There's only room for his anger. Yeah, I never show any emotion, any anger. Right, anything. and that's not going to work. And I know you know that. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, he's there is there's in a way this wall, but it's not just a wall because he doesn't just get defensive; he gets offensive, he gets aggressive. Yeah. yeah. So he doesn't yeah. just shut down like you're saying; he lashes out, which makes it very hard no. for you to bring up anything. It seems like in in some ways you're walking on eggshells. Very much so, and my, I want to know at this point, honestly, I want to know if. Could I try to encourage him and ask him maybe however I could to get him to go to therapy or not? Well, let me ask you something. Do you think he says he's happy in the marriage, how it is? Uh, no, he's not. Okay. So that's where well, I would he's, start. He's saying that. He's like, I'm not happy because things are not smooth. Constantly we have argument. I said the reason of argument because you cannot carry on the conversation well, more than so, two minutes. And okay, so now, you blow out. yeah, now, that's the part where I would say, you say, what can I do differently? If you say the reason why we have arguments is all because of you, that's obviously going to make someone defensive, even if they're not so defensive. So yeah, you have to be aware that. of that is not going to make it easier for him to acknowledge his side of things, if you say it's all you, and not even make him very yeah, eager to want to go back and try therapy if he thinks it's just going to be a place of blaming him and telling him he's wrong. So uh, I would be aware of that, that you feel like True. it's. this is where you guys at least can meet, uh, agree on something. You're both not very happy with the marriage. And so also it, it's important for you to recognize you're contributing to the issues too at some level, not just him. And what can I do to make things better? And you might be attacking him more than you realize, even though you're saying he takes things as an attack. Maybe you are coming on too strong. So that is one thing you can be aware of but i would i would talk to him say you know it looks like we're both not so happy in this marriage but it seems like you're saying you we love each other so you guys have love for each other i think it would be good for us to try again to go to therapy 
to try to work on things and see what we both can do better, not just what you can do better and you exactly. have to change. Yeah, because that's what I was telling him. I said, let's go reach out. Let's go get help to help someone to help us to communicate better so we can understand each other. He does not believe the therapies they can help. He's okay. just saying that this is his word. He's like, oh, so I want to go to the therapy and spend $100 an hour for someone to tell you what, how to do the things that I like. So then you won't do it because nobody can change you. And he's just like constantly pointing at me. And he does. And one of the problems is he doesn't see. I think he does see it because every once in a while, out of nowhere, he mentions that I'm the kind of person that I have temper and I need to help with my anger. And one of these days, uh, God knows what's going to happen to me or to us because I can't control myself. When I get mad, mm-hmm. I close my eyes and I can't see what I'm saying or what I'm doing. It's just that I feel like in the past six years, like first two, three years of a marriage, if he was getting upset at something, he would maybe start yelling and then leave the room, go to the backyard, go to the office, or go to a different room. But in the past two years, when he gets mad, he like comes a couple of steps towards me. He doesn't do anything, but he stands up and his face is so red. And then after like yelling and screaming, which I leave the room because I'm afraid, like, you know, at that moment, people cannot think it's straight. So he could throw something or... Well, that's you know, that's very critical. Uh, you know, we just have about a minute left. You don't feel safe okay. with him. That's really critical. That's not a, a minor detail. And so that is very important. It seems like you feel like his anger is getting worse or getting more yeah. aggressive. And that's yeah. very important. So you, you something has to give. And you have to be able to express yourself to him. If he can never handle your feelings, that's not okay. Again, you have to be aware of how you're sharing them with him, that you're not attacking him. You're using the I statements. You make it about yourself, not like he is the cause. And in hearing you talk, though, I do get the sense that you feel like he's the problem, not you. And I'm not saying you're the problem, but there is this feeling that he's the only issue in the relationship. And as long as you have that mindset, it's going to make him more defensive. And so you're going to push him to being that way. So in, in, in our conversation, I, I hear you saying it's him, not me. He's the only problem. Of course, it, it takes it takes two people. Uh, I understand always. It can't be hundred percent him. But no, I know. But even if you say hundred percent him, and I, I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off. It's also because we have to stop. But still, sure. even I know you know the things to say. But it seems like you feel like he's the problem. And so, if you see it as only he's yeah. the problem, it's less likely he's going to want to be part of the solution. Also, so. I I think you have to look at that part, too, that when you talk to him, you're probably making him feel that way, that it's all you, you're the problem, you need to get help. Even the therapist said you have issues, but I'm sure the therapist, if you guys went to more than one session, would have seen a lot that you're doing as well. So I would be aware of that, and I hope you guys will go get some help, and one session is not really, and I know he didn't want to continue, but one session of therapy is not even starting, really. So I hope you'll go back. Yeah. Yeah, he never came by, yeah. but I'm hoping that I can um, somehow approach him in a better way than convince him yes. to come in, and he wants to be happier too. Right, but so again, it has to be, both of you have to be part of the solution, but and are both of you are part of the problem now, that's the only way. But yes, thanks yeah. for the call. Hope we can talk Thank more another so time. Hopefully. Thank you so much. Okay, have it. a great have day. A Take day. care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, thank you to all the callers and the listeners and to Amir, who is here to start the show, and Farhuda, who is here to wrap it up. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delokwi. Have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.